His series was cancelled after just six issues, but Marvel be his destiny. Welcome to Marvel Be My Destiny, a podcast where we talk through the history of the Marvel Universe and Marvel Comics. I'm David. And I'm Jordan. And this time in episode three, we're talking about The Incredible Hulk, issues one through six, the entire first series. Yeah. So The Incredible Hulk's kind of Marvel's first breakout star, but obviously his first series was not well received. I like it. I realize feelings on this one are mixed, but I I quite like this first series. I like a lot of things about it. I actually think that the thing that probably drove off the kids is the thing I like the most, which is no two issues here are even remotely the same. Yeah, it's very scattered. My favorite thing about it is it's not a superhero comic. Oh, no, not even remotely. They try to squeeze some of that in, but it doesn't really quite work because it shifts gears again and goes back to monster stories. Yeah, it's a monster book with a recurring character and... Like, that's awesome, I think. Mm -hmm. So starting with issue one, the obvious thing to point out is the Hulk's gray right on the cover. Yep. Everyone knows it. Everyone's seen the cover. Everyone's heard the stories about about why it was gray. Well, the official line from Lee, and I'm reading from the origins of Marvel Comics here, is that he wanted to make the skin gray to look more monstrous. And when it got back from the printer, the printer couldn't keep the shades consistent from panel to panel and when you look at the original issue you can actually see that somewhat where the shade goes lighter or darker depending on the panel and what background they have but then lee also says that for some reason that no one could understand he was bright green in one panel toward the end of the issue and that's true he's bright green in a panel where he's climbing out of the wreckage of a jeep But the Jeep is the same gray as the Hulk is, so it makes me think that likely wasn't an error. There's a lot of interesting coloring choices in this issue where things are very bright and contrasted. And so I think Lee's just misremembering here. They probably chose to do some more dynamic coloring. And then when he went back and looked later on, he saw the green and went, oh, that color will work. That's quite possible. I wonder, though, if... The error in that panel was that the Jeep was supposed to be green and the Hulk was supposed to be gray. The Jeep was displayed as orange in the panels previous to that, which, yeah, it could be. It could be an error there, but there's other panels where the Hulk is bright red by choice. And it looks like it's a decision to try to, to block off things. If I go back a few pages here, the panel where he first changes back, the Hulk is colored solid, all bright orange. Rick Jones is solid yellow against kind of a an ochre background. So it it looks intentional. They do a lot of work with the colors in terms of a lot of contrasting, like heavy contrast, as you say, like even the on the panel where he's green. Uh, the panel right above that, as he's changing to the Hulk, they change the background to red. They make him yellow. The original issues are available in scans off of the GIT Marvel DVD that they released oh, about 10 years ago. So if you want to look at how it appeared in 1962, the scan's actually pretty good. It's very white. Yeah, yeah it's in good condition. So the story starts off with our origin where Bruce Banner is the scientist who we all know and love, who's really a bit of a jerk. And they're testing out the newest nuclear weapon, the G-bomb. Not the Gamma Bomb yet, just the G-bomb. And everyone's favorite kid sidekick, Rick Jones, decides that this is a good time to drive onto the test range. I feel like the piece that gets missed here in the retellings is Igor. There is a wonderful issue that Peter David did all about Igor. He's, He's an interesting character, and he's a lot more prominent in this first issue than I realized. Yeah, they give him quite a role here although he doesn't appear again until the 30th anniversary issue of hulk Hmm. definitely a dropped ball there though i guess eventually it gets picked up where do you go with a spy though after he's been caught true true and this also is really the first time we're getting some of that early marvel anti-communism this book is very it very heavily relies on the communist enemies starting with this issue but then i feel like every issue in the book as communist enemies not quite everyone but they certainly came up a lot 
they reoccur. So what do you think about Rick Jones here? At least in the first issue. He's better than Snapper Carr. <laughs> That's quite easy to do, and yes. I feel like he, he doesn't quite get enough motivation initially, where he's just hanging around because he feels kind of guilty, but eventually you'd think he'd go, okay, somebody needs to know that Bruce Banner is turning into this monster at sunset. Well, it's... Bruce is the first one to ever do anything for him. You know, he's just an orphan. No, no one ever did anything for me before, except you, a stranger. So he, he's just got that immediate attachment, right? Because Bruce saved his life. Now, I actually think Rick Jones, over the course of the six issues, probably gets the best character arc. Yep. Well, he's he's really the hero of the book. Yeah, I guess he is. Since uh, Banner's main thing is just going to be, initially it's going to be being scared of the Hulk. Yeah. Banner comes up with some solutions, but I don't even want to read about him because I want to read about the Hulk. And if Banner's there, it means the Hulk's not there. So he's just, he's not a good character. Or he's not an intriguing character because the alternative is just more interesting. Do you like the Hulk as this kind of malevolent, kind of intelligent, kind of ruthless guy that he is in the first issue? Uh, I think he's more interesting like this. So if I compare this to some of the issues of the Hulk that we'll see down the road, like when he joins the Avengers, when he goes on that long run of, you know, he'll pop up as being the guy who's being chased. That was kind of his thing for a long time there. He didn't really have anything to his character. But this first appearance of the Hulk where, you know, his very first line is, get out of my way, insect. Like, that's kind of cool and different. It's like Stan took the idea for the thing of having this kind of anti-hero uh, character and just got rid of all the surrounding cast and, and really decided to go for it. Yeah, before we get too f much further into the issue, I gotta say I really like the way Kirby draws that origin sequence with the explosion in the background. The images are iconic for a reason. The fourth page? Yeah. It's incredible. The scene where the explosion happens and Bruce's face and then the panel right after it. Yeah, and the way it just stays consistent yeah. between those two panels. Yeah, absolutely. It's something Kirby does a few times in this series. And I always like it when Kirby gets kind of experimental with the way he's using time in the comics. Yeah. Yeah, his in-panel work here is really strong. It's some of the better early Kirby art. But it's not consistent. Yeah, so. as... As we get into the later issues, I feel it gets a little bit sloppier. But this first issue is a real tour de force for him. Yeah, the first issue is very strong. And I mean, this is the kind of character Kirby was good at drawing. Like, I feel like so much of his later work, characters like the Hulk with the, you know, the big faces and the really grotesque features, like, that's what Kirby does. Now, obviously, the Hulk's inspired by Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde here, and the visual intention is supposed to be Frankenstein, specifically the whale version, the Boris Karloff version. Yeah. But I'm not really seeing quite so much Karloff and that design in this first issue. It switches up. In the second issue, I think you see it a lot, and where he flattens out the head. But this time, it, the Hulk looks almost like a square-jawed hero with just some hair that's fresh out of the shower. Yeah, and because of the way Kirby does perspective, he doesn't even look that big sometimes so in some panels he looks like absolutely huge but then in other panels he's basically just normal person size i think it looks a lot like he's about six and a half feet tall maybe which is big but not you know monstrously huge yeah yeah but he is he is showing how powerful he is early on so after he turns into the hulk and they escape the jail well, it's a hospital room because they're waiting for Bruce Banner to die of radiation poisoning. Mm, that makes sense. In fact, they actually say that that's what they're waiting for. Oh, yeah, you're right. They must be waiting for me to die. Whoa. I know, that's kind of heavy. <laughs> yeah, I missed that. So they escape the hospital. He turns into the Hulk. They escape the hospital room. And then he hides out. They He moves with unbelievable stealth for one so ponderous. Like, they're still figuring out what to do with him. And what his character is, I think. Once he gets back to his house and breaks in to find Igor looting it, he gets shot by Igor and it, it wounds him. It doesn't stop him, but it wounds him. Yeah, but he demonstrates his strength. He crushes the gun with one hand. Um, in the course of these issues, there's a few times where they have a close-up of the Hulk's hand grabbing something and then crushing it. And then in the next panel, showing it destroyed. It's a good sequence. Yeah. 
Uh, and it's one of the more interesting kind of panel sequences that Kirby does in this, like in this particular shot with the, with the gun being destroyed. Mm-hmm. So for this first issue, Bruce Banner changes at sunup and sundown. And so when, as the sun rises, he changes back and the army bursts into his house to find him wounded with Rick Jones hanging out and, and Bruce is in, you know, shredded clothes, of course. And nobody suspects anything. Nope, because they are dumb as hell. Banner has a tendency to turn up in shredded clothes a lot, apparently. It's just what he did. The guy just cannot dress himself. <laughs> no. I like the, is it the doctor or the, the army guy, basically, who says, you know, why'd you leave the hospital? How'd you get the wound on your shoulder? How do we know you're not mixed up in this? Like, he's maybe thinking, oh, that must be the Hulk. But then the two soldier guys are like, no, it looked like a gorilla. It looked like a bear. And uh, just an excuse for Kirby to draw some cool stuff. Yeah, the bear dressed in the circus tent. Yeah, exactly. Betty Ross kind of falls in love right away. Doesn't take much, Yeah. Right? Well, I think in the first couple of pages, she was already kind of in love with him or had a crush of some kind. Well, she thought he was handsome, I think. Yeah, I guess. Maybe it comes up in one of the later issues. So in one of the later issues, when they're retelling the origin, they have Betty meeting Banner, like, in this first sequence. As opposed to having already known her. So on page 16 of this issue, they finally get around to introducing a villain, which is the Gargoyle, and he's a, a bit of a C-lister. He will stick around for a while until he's killed by Iron Man eventually, but he's not quite as iconic as some others. He's got a wicked look early on. Mm-hmm. Uh, does that look come back? Oh yeah, yeah. He, he keeps looking at... There actually winds up being multiple gargoyles because continuity gets really screwy and they all wind up kind of looking like that. Well, that's weird. It's an interesting story. The gargoyle is this, you know, communist, I guess, monster who's very intelligent. And I guess he has missiles at his command. Um, It's not clear to me, like, why he has this power or... It seems like everyone's just scared of how ugly he is. Yeah. He's the most feared man in all of Asia. Yeah, but we don't really seem to get a lot of reason why. But he launches a missile at the United States with no consequences and and sneaks into the U.S. that way to get the Hulk. Yep. He has a pretty cool gun that turns anyone he shoots into his slave. Yeah, that you think that would come in handy, but he just uses it once really quick to get the Hulk and Rick Jones to follow him back to a secret jet and... Takes him back to the Soviet Union. Yep. And then the gargoyle figures out, obviously, that in fact the Hulk is Bruce Banner. Right, because they actually take into account the fact that, oh yeah, it's still sun a daylight on the other side of the world. Yep. And somehow Bruce knows how to cure his radiation sickness, or radiation made him ugly somehow, but and more radiation will cure him. Yeah. I've seen cases like yours. I know how to cure you. With radiation. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't work. Uh, radiation was like judo back then, right? Like It must have been, yeah. And then he immediately turns on Khrushchev. Yeah, he's just so happy that an American cured him. So now he can defy Khrushchev like a man. It's somewhat political here. Like, yeah, there's kind of the evil communists sometimes, but like, they've got a picture of Khrushchev and... They refer to him as Comrade K. Like, Mm -hmm. it felt a little off or out of place compared to the other books we had read up to this point. Yeah, it it was kind of a real change of pace there, bringing a little bit of the real world into it. And then it seems like the gargoyle just blows the whole military base up. Yep, goes ahead and does it. Yeah, because he wants to die like a man. It's the Mole Man ending again. It's uh, the heroes fly off and... The bad guy blows up everything. But still, it, it was a pretty cool first issue for the Hulk. Yeah, I liked it. It had some really good Kirby uh, artwork, and it's a pretty iconic story, obviously. Even if Banner isn't really, I don't think, the hero of this series, like as a whole, in this issue, he he's fairly heroic. Obviously, his origin, but then, you know, also his curing the gargoyle, like that's that's Banner saving the day. It's not really the Hulk saving the day. Yeah, the Hulk hasn't had a chance to do anything heroic yet, but then we get to issue two, The Terror of the Toadmen, and would you say that this issue is toadly awesome? <laughs> I'm going to warn you right now, my notes for this issue are all toad puns. 
the toad men are dumb. <laughs> There's a reason that they haven't really shown up again. Yeah, I don't remember them from any of the any of the cosmic stuff. They show up as a gag in She-Hulk at some point. Mm. Probably her issue too. I wouldn't mind seeing them. You know, the Toad Man and the Scrolls and the Badu and the they could they could take their place among the aliens of the Marvel universe. I think among the early aliens, the only ones that really stick are the Scrolls. Yeah, yeah. From the aliens in the '60s, well. They keep quite a few of them, though, right? Like Thor meets the... The Stone Men come back once or twice only until uh, World War Hulk, in which which point they introduce one of the Stone Men as an actual character, and then he winds up sticking around. Mm, okay. The thing with this issue is that first page. Oh, yeah, that is straight off of the Frankenstein poster. Yeah, completely. Uh, to the point that I'd swear that Kirby was almost tracing it, but... You don't want to accuse Kirby of that, but... No, I, I don't think he did. I, I, I'd i guess he'd probably freehand it while looking at the poster, but yeah, he's not a light box kind of guy. No, but he, he was definitely uh, heavily using reference material for this one. Now, I believe this issue was inked by Ditko, hmm. which also accounts for some of the heavier shading this time. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of heavy shading in this one, especially like this first story. This feels like nothing from the issue number one. Because mm-hmm. the Hulk's attacking a town initially. Yeah, the whole the first two pages is just the Hulk on a rampage uh, in the middle of the night. We have to add here, the Hulk's green now, so he's going to be green for the next 320 issues. It's the right color choice. Yeah, it is. Especially for the printing at the time. Yeah, it looks a lot better than the, than the kind of dark gray did. They retell the origin story mm-hmm. on page three, as they do... For all the Marvel heroes in these early years, they immediately bring Rick Jones back into the story. So he's definitely established as a permanent character, I would say. It's it's Rick Jones and the Hulk. They established their secret underground base here with the vault in the, under a lake, which is something that they actually come back to from time to time with the Hulk. Yeah, and he'll have this cave for quite a while. Is it the Hulk cave? <laughs> I don't know. They gloss over how it works. Like, for example, how they managed to get a solid concrete 10 foot thick wall uh, and how Rick will be able to easily push it into place. Yeah. And the steel ramrod that they've installed, which that's a real question there. I've noticed something about this. The Hulk actually seems to be kind of firmly established in the American Southwest at this point. Yeah, everybody knows who he is. It's the Hulk. Lock your doors. He's coming. They're in Arizona or, or Nevada or New Mexico. Not necessarily more specific than that, but they're not hanging out in New York City or Central City even. He's in a different part of the country from the Fantastic Four. That might be intentional, right? Like, Well, it, it certainly was because that's where nuclear testing was done, and so they're setting it out there. But it kind of gives the Hulk a different playground to work with. He's not a city monster. He's a country boy. Yeah, it allows him to have more space. Mm-hmm. Because if the Hulk was in the city, he would just be on a constant destructive rampage. And I think that would lead to some, you know, bigger problems around how he's acting, right? Whereas in the open desert, uh, yeah, he's going to destroy stuff, but it's not constantly destroying everything. Because then don't you run into the problems with the comics code around him, you know, not really being a hero? Yeah, I guess that would be an issue, especially, well, this issue probably pushes the line on that harder than others. Uh, with him starting out threatening people, and then later on, the Hulk pulls a gun on people. Yep. So fresh from constructing their Hulk vault, where they're going to stash Bruce Banner overnight, uh, they are kidnapped by the Toad Men, who have magnetic guns, and haul them right off to space. Then they tell them their plan, which is pretty crazy. They're going to use their command over the magnetic rays to shoot Earth cities into space, or to... Uh, empty the oceans or glue people to the ground or, or glue people to the ground but they're not going to do that because first they want to figure out how advanced the earth is scientifically right which is why they kidnapped the greatest mind on earth now i'd like to think that they're talking about rick jones here <laughs> <laughs> no they send rick jones back to earth no need for him shove him right out an airlock yeah but banner was able to see that he landed safely <laughs> 
And then they reach the dark side of the earth and it's becoming night. So now he can change back to the Hulk. And the Hulk really tears apart this the ship that they've got him on. Yeah, he shoots them in a really like dark panel. Yeah, it he looks really scary in that panel. Yeah. This is a very different looking Hulk from the first issue. The heavily shaded eyes really emphasize that. Yeah. I love the panel in the on the bottom corner of that page where now the Hulk will be the hunter instead of the hunted and he looks pissed. Mm-hmm. He, he's ready to wipe out mankind with the alien weaponry. Yeah. But fortunately for the Earth, General Thunderbolt Ross is there to launch missiles at the flying saucer, which brings it down. When they go to see what was in the flying saucer, of course, the Hulk's not there anymore because the saucer fell back on the part of the Earth that was in the daylight. They're really leaning into this day-night thing early on. I think the day-night transformation actually works better than what they go for, but at the same time, they weren't willing to just let it become a situation where people found out what was happening, and so they tried to shift more superhero-ish, but we're going to be getting to that. Yeah. I like the scene, so the the army shows up at the wrecked ship, and the Toadman escape by tunneling underground. (laughs) It's great. Yeah, they've got just blasting their way out of the ship. And then while they're holding Banner for treason, because he built a flying saucer and didn't tell anyone. But anyways, they're holding Banner for treason for some reason. And then the Toadman Armada shows up, and they've decided to crash the moon into the Earth. Yeah, unless the Earth surrenders. Yeah, I never really know what these aliens are going for. Yeah, you're not going to have a whole lot of Earth left if you crash the moon into it. Night falls and the Hulk escapes from prison because everyone's too busy and gets chased down by the military. But it's kind of, it's just kind of a weird way to go with this issue. The whole military interlude here feels kind of unnecessary to me. It does, but it leads to something fantastic, which is the Hulk going to find General Ross so that he can, you know, exact his revenge. And the panel where he gets into Ross's house Mm -hmm. and closes the door behind him is just like it's just a straight up monster book oh yeah stalking betty in her house like that we get i think our first sequence of rick jones going let me through i'm the only one who can reason with the hulk and that's gonna come up over and over and over again it becomes a question of why do does the military let this kid hang around if he's got ties to the Hulk? Yeah. And why does he constantly need to convince them to let him through and talk to the Hulk? Like, you either are never going to let him do it, or you're always going to let him do it. Mm-hmm. Well, the sun finally comes up again after the Hulk wanders around scaring Betty. And with Bruce Banner back, he goes, oh, I'll just make a gun to fix everything. He just makes a giant ray gun that works on the same principle as the alien's magnetic gun and sends their flying saucers off into deep space, which is kind of anticlimactic for the end of the issue. But the very last panel, I think, is really great, where we've got uh, the Hulk locked in his cell for the night and Rick Jones kind of holding the door shut. It's a really cool last panel. And it's a visual they're going to return to a lot in the next few issues. And it, it looks fantastic when they do it. It's a good choice. And it's nice art. So. so issue two, bit of a letdown compared to issue one. Yeah, the story was bad. I think there was some really cool art. I kind of like what they did with the character, like making him more violent and angry. Yeah, if they kept that but gave him an actual villain to contrast with, it could have been pretty interesting. But... Yeah, against the Toadmen. Generic aliens, like, no thanks. And again, if the Hulk isn't the one doing anything, it's Banner solves it. Like, Banner's the hero, I guess. If you can call pulling a deus ex machina out being the hero. It's, it's not a great issue. So moving into issue three, we've got the Hulk. He can fly now. Yeah. And it really winds up kind of being flight. He's got super early Superman-style flight where he's taking off with a leaping and then controls his muscles so well that he might as well be flying. Yeah, he, he can just straight up fly in this miniseries. Like. The issue picks up right where we left off with Rick Jones holding onto that giant ramrod that's sealing the Hulk in. It's a good first page. And the sun comes up, they let Bruce out, and the military's got a rocket they want to test, and 
Ross convinces Rick Jones that only the Hulk can do it, so they're going to lure him into the rocket for some reason. Yep, but in fact, once Rick manages to lure them in, it turns out that Ross was just pulling a a Reed Richards, and they were going to send the Hulk off into outer space, never to be seen again. That always works. Nothing goes wrong when you do that, right? Mm -hmm. The Hulk definitely doesn't come back to Earth to wreak havoc. The Hulk actually gets pelted by the Fantastic Four's cosmic rays in this. He does. And it leads to a really weird sequence where in order to stop the Hulk from getting sent out to outer space, Rick Jones goes to the control panel while nobody else is looking. And they're all having celebratory Hulk sent into space cigars. Exactly. And when he touches the control panel, the cosmic rays like shoot back to Earth and link the Hulk and Rick Jones, so that Rick Jones can now control the Hulk mentally. But the Hulk no longer turns back into Bruce Banner. That's true, I missed that. Yeah, that, that's how we get into the really weird start on issue four, is that uh, he's he can't change back anymore. Hmm. He's just Rick Jones's puppet now. Yeah, so this one's kind of interesting. So Rick Jones goes to sleep, only to realize that when he's asleep, the Hulk goes out of control again and just goes on a violent rampage. Which, again, it really kind of playing up that monster piece. He walks right through a wall, at least from the that one of the panels displays it on page 10. Yeah. And then they retell the origin story. I mean, we're, we're on issue number three. And they actually call this chapter the origin of the Hulk. Yeah. And they don't have Igor in this origin story. But they also retconned it here. The Hulk is green in this origin story. Yeah. They get Kirby to redraw the awesome explosion panel. But they do away with the continuing to scream panel. Yeah. And then we get the ringmaster of the Circus of Crime. Now, believe it or not, this is the third ringmaster of the Circus of Crime. Originally, there was a ringmaster who was a Captain America enemy in the 1940s who kidnapped Betty Ross, which they later retconned into being the aunt of this Betty Ross. And then there's also a ringmaster and a circus of crime that toured the Old West. And it, they showed up a few months before this issue. Huh. Now, this ringmaster, and this, they're not with the circus of crime, I guess. It's just the ringmaster at this point. But Well, that's true. They don't have any of the familiar members of the circus of crime mm-hmm. here. So, But this is the same ringmaster, right? Yes, this is the same ringmaster. He's got a terrible plan, this ringmaster. So they... The circus goes in, they convince everyone in town to go to the circus, and then he hypnotizes everyone in town. And then they take all their stuff. Which is kind of his standard plan for his entire career. It's an interesting plan when you're doing it, I guess, just on the people in the circus. But where I have an issue with his plan is that when we reach the end of the comic, the FBI just show up and say, Hey, the past couple towns you've been in, everyone said what you did. You're under arrest. He's not really going to get away with it. So, like, I feel like there was a good piece missing to his plan where he needed to hypnotize them not to tell the cops what happened or, like, not to remember what happened. There was something missing there. Um, But it is a good excuse to have some pretty cool, weird circus stuff going on. Yeah, the panels where the circus people are... Is it... Should it be circus people or carnies? I guess they're circus people because carnies are fairs. Yeah. But the panels where they're looting the town is pretty neat. Yeah, the the looting the town stuff's all really good. And then they travel to the next town on their elephants and horses and donkeys. Like, they don't have cars to travel. Well, they're a poor circus. They can't afford a train. They can't afford a train, but they can afford camels and elephants in the American Southwest. Mm-hmm. It's not anything that's going to stand out. They're only going four miles over. <laughs> And then we find out that uh, Rick Jones has an Aunt Polly. I'm not sure that she's actually his aunt. Uh, she could be. I, I haven't actually looked it up, but I'm wondering if she's the woman who runs the boarding house. Mm. He does call her, guess I'll go visit my Aunt Polly. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I guess I'll go visit my Aunt Polly. I was just thinking of the next panel where he, says, where he just talks to her. Yeah, it's weird. It, I'm not really sure what those three panels are there for. Or I guess just as an excuse to say, hey, he's going to go into town. Yeah, he's got to go into town and and see a circus, even though he's been up all night trying to prevent the Hulk from rampaging. Yeah, so then he sees the circus, the ringmaster does his thing. Luckily, 
Rick Jones can think commands to the Hulk faster than the Ringmaster can hypnotize. So we get a pretty cool fight between the Hulk and some circus performers. And particularly that very first page of fighting where the Hulk smashes the human cannonball out of the circus tent. Take a good look at the hammer that the human cannonball has that he's carrying. Doesn't it look exactly like Mjolnir? Yup. Kirby has one hammer. Kirby can't draw multiple hammers. He's got his hammer. He likes to draw that one hammer. The artwork on th- on the Hulk is really, I don't know, it's up and down. Like the next page where they decide to spray him with the hose, which quickly the power hose, nothing that lives can withstand its pressure. <laughs> like what? I would hope that they use it for like pressure washing the elephant. So hopefully the elephants lived. <laughs> it's odd and then the caravan you know they tie up the hulk use some chains and they move on to the next town and they decide don't kill him we'll bill him as the monster and put him in the circus luckily all of this is spoiled by the fact that rick jones just told the fbi what was going on and the fbi showed up yeah and then once the hulk hears rick jones he decides to go on a rampage and and then he punches out an elephant yep in the stomach yeah (laughs) that poor elephant this is the first time that he's superhuman i think well he did tear apart that house and then put it back together again in the previous issue Mm, true but yeah punching out an elephant's kind of going up a step well i'm not thinking about his powers but i mean the caption there watch out you fool he's got superhuman power like i'm thinking specifically of the wording ah yeah yeah and then he then he tears apart the tent rips down the central post and beats the ringmaster up with it and when the army shows up, Rick just grabs onto him and he flies. When we get, oh yeah, we're on the last page, we'll just add, look, he's flying. Nothing can stop him now. And they don't explain it at all. Like, why is he flying? How did he learn how to fly? At the start of the issue, when he does it initially, it's explicitly called out as leaping. But then at the end there, that's not leaping. That is definitely flying. Yeah. Because he's got a Superman pose. Yeah. He changes directions. Like, mm-hmm. And I mean, the Hulk's leaping flight thing, once they finally settle into that, it's always still kind of dicey, but early on here, like, that Superman panel, um, I don't know. It doesn't even look like the Hulk from the panel above it. Kirby is all over the map here. Yeah. So this issue's got some fun fight scenes, and I think I kind of wind up on the positive side of this issue. I like the Ringmaster story quite a bit. I guess what I don't like about the issue is that we wasted, what, one, two, three, four pages, I guess, on the origin. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that first story was bad. Yeah, Rick Jones controlling the Hulk is a concept that doesn't really wind up working. No, and they get away from it really quickly. Oh, yeah, because now as we jump into Hulk number four, which is... The Hulk is bi-monthly at this point, so we're eight months into the series. We are opening up with Rick Jones playing around with the machinery in the lab that they installed in the Hulk cave because he thinks that giving the Hulk a massive dose of radiation might turn him into Bruce Banner again. Yeah, and it works. Um... Well, it kind of works. (laughs) Because while it turns him back into Bruce Banner, he's extremely weak. Yeah, and it just leads to Bruce Banner wanting to turn back into the Hulk. Mm Mm-hmm. It's an interesting way to set up the story, though, because this is kind of like the Fantastic Four uh, issue one, where they start with, they're like already into the story. Like, because that first page, you don't really continue from that point. Like, it goes back into the flashback after that, and you don't really continue the story until the last page, right? Yeah, it goes on for quite a ways like that, but we get uh, some cutaways to the army where they're testing a freeze missile that actually winds up being kind of in a continuity thing because we see it in this issue where they're testing a a missile to freeze the hulk and then it comes back in a few issues yeah it's completely ineffective yeah well that's what happens with most military things against the hulk in this issue they talk about the flying again Mm -hmm. so here they're explicitly saying that he's leaping Um, and they talk about his leap that carries him and he's not changing directions until the end so the hulk has to save rick jones well he swoops down and and pushes a bus out of the way of a train yep there's that part too which is the first heroic thing the hulk does it's not clear why he does it i guess 
they say somewhere deep in the monster's brain a tiny spark of bruce banner comes to life and then he saves the bus and there he's explicitly flying yeah and the military's arrested rick jones because they think he's made bruce banner disappear so as they're hauling rick jones off the hulk flies down flying through a city first and then flies down to pull rick off a jeep and take off up into the air again yep and then rick decides to change the hulk back to banner using the uh, the radiation and as you said it it works kind of but it makes him just a little bit too weak and it leads to banner trying to change back to the hulk but change back to the hulk with his own intelligence now one of the things i like that they call out here and they continue this through the series is that he's a smarter hulk now but he's meaner than bruce banner was he's fierce he's angry i'm not sure i like this version of the hulk but i like where they go with it but right here at the start it's kind of weird it's strange to read him talking to rick like it's strange to read the hulk say save a man's family and they shoot at you come on rick we're taking off like that's a weird thing for the hulk to say it doesn't Mm -hmm. sound right like the contractions i guess in his sentences yeah that's more the thing than the hulk yeah and i like that he tries to put out a fire by tearing the building in half and throwing it off into the distance but that's where we leave off the first story in this issue with the new status quo this story was essentially just to set that up yeah very forgettable however it leads to the gladiator from out of space and this story has maybe my favorite sequence of panels that kirby drew in like the early 60s so which three panels would those be i am mongu it's a a really wonderful sequence as the alien gladiator from who you could not mistake as anything other than a kirby creation opens up this hatch on the spaceship and he's saying it as he slowly climbs out it's so good and so it's this alien warlord shows up challenges earth's mightiest mortal to meet him in hand-to-hand combat and if the champion defeats him he'll go away forever but if mongu wins then his warriors will conquer the world this is essentially that marvel two-in-one annual (laughs) (laughs) they don't have mongu explicitly call out the hulk so really it could have been anybody right at this point was thor i feel like thor was around at this point let's see here this is november so yes thor debuted in the august issues so really like thor could have shown up um, the thing could have shown up spider-man could have shown up spider-man could have shown up but this is still kind of pre-universe i think they're just having those first inklings of the universe yeah i think we're about two months away from the first fantastic four hulk crossover yeah so we're still early on and it, it is a hulk book so the hulk is going to show up and so bruce banner uses the radiation to turn him into the hulk they have a plane which they chartered yeah i was wondering how did the hulk charter a jet it's strange i wonder if the hulk can use bruce banner's credit cards (laughs) rick jones just stole it he's a bit of a thief (laughs) they weren't allowed to put that in because it's a comics code thing but (laughs) but then it turns out mongu's not a real alien he's actually a robot body with the guy in him and it's chinese communists i think no this is the russian communists. oh these are russian communists soviets soviet communists yeah mongu's actually boris monguski which i love that they've got just a ton of guys pouring out of the fake spaceship which was a disguised mig somehow and their whole plan is just to capture the hulk Mm -hmm. Uh, and the hulk trashes them it's a one-sided fight oh yeah but then they wise up and they capture rick jones but it doesn't really do anything because the hulk doesn't care (laughs) yeah the hulk's not a nice guy yeah he's like i don't care if you have that kid I'm still going to kill you. They're bringing in a helicopter. They're going to make him board. And the Hulk just throws a chunk of metal at the helicopter to smash it up and goes, well, you're stranded now. I'm leaving you now. But if you're not on the way back to Vodka Land, by the time I hit Earth, I'll be back. Like, it's very The Thing dialogue right now. Mm-hmm. And it's, what did you expect? Half pint? Like, that's Thing dialogue. It doesn't fit with the Hulk. I have to say, I don't know about you, but I was very disappointed with this story. 
it's one of those things where I liked that what they were trying to do with it, but I kind of wanted a little bit more. And this is probably the the most boring version of the Hulk of the ones that we get here. Yeah. Well, my my real problem with this one is I wanted to watch the Hulk fight Mongu. Ah. And I was very disappointed that that's not what I got to read. Well, that gets us to kind of a problem with the Hulk original series here in general is the Hulk doesn't have great villains in this series. No, he doesn't. You know, the Gladiator is kind of an interesting villain. Not a great villain, but he's an interesting villain. Mm-hmm. But they get rid of him in issue one. And then... I, I think you meant the Gargoyle Sorry, is an the, interesting villain. Yeah, the Gargoyle is an interesting villain. But they get rid of him in issue one. And issue two and issue three, it's just communists and aliens. Issue uh, five brings in Tyrannus, but he's another C-lister. Very C-lister. And like the Ringmaster is also a C-lister, and he's not a Hulk villain. Yeah, the Ringmaster just goes to anybody who needs a weird guy to show up for an issue to be chumped on. If you looked at that first page of this story, like Mongu could be a Hulk villain. That Mongu, not whatever they do here. Mm -hmm. I was very disappointed by this, but those three panels... I mean, it was still great just because of that. On the other hand, I like the fact that they show up with 20 guys and the Hulk just beats them effortlessly. Oh yeah, that part is cool. I like that we get four pages of the Hulk just easily trashing these guys. And then on the last page, we've got not quite the Daily Bugle, but something close as the newspapers are reporting battle with Splace Gladiator rigged by Hulk. Yeah, they're doing some of the the Daily Bugle type stuff. Mm -hmm. That brings us to the end of this issue. And as I said before, issue five brings us Tyrannus, who is not quite the Tyrannus that we know yet. Or I guess that a few people know, because who really remembers Tyrannus? Yeah, Tyrannus is terrible. (laughs) I can't... Like, yeah, Tyrannus is just such a terrible villain. Well, later on they establish that he's Romulus Augustus, which I think at least gives him something. Yeah, that's kind of cool, I guess, but... Here it's... He's a guy with the fountain of youth, and he's got some technology and lives underground. Okay. He's a slightly prettier mole man. That's exactly it. He's a slightly prettier mole man. And he's got a thing for the ladies. Mm-hmm. The bit about the fountain of youth is kind of cool. It's just in the one panel, but the bit about him being banished to the center of the earth by Merlin the Magician. Mm-hmm. They may have already brought Merlin in and some of the backup material, I think, for some of the Tales to Astonish at this point. But I do like that Marvel puts Merlin in as, like, an in-universe character. I'm not sure which Merlin it was that banished him to the center of the Earth, though, because there are a few Merlins. There are a few versions, yeah. (laughs) I'm going to assume it's not the Captain Britain Merlin. No, no. It's it's the evil uh, Iron Man villain Merlin, probably, um, who shows up a couple times. They bring back the Betty and Bruce thing here. Yeah, Betty's been kind of off to the side, way off to the side in the past two issues, but now she's really back at the center of things for this one. Yeah, and she's trying to make Bruce jealous by getting with Mr. Tyrannus. Which really, if someone gives you that name, would you go with him? Yeah. I'm Mr. Evil. I would like to explore the caves with you. But he's pretty, so there is that. I like that uh, we're now actually color-coding the outfits. They've actually been doing it for a little while with uh, the Hulk, where the rare times you see Banner, he's been dressed in purple. But here it's kind of really obvious where Banner's got a purple suit for some reason, and Tyrannus, he's dressed in red and blue Roman garb initially, and then he shows up on the surface, he's just red and blue again (laughs) with the shirt and, and blue jeans. Yeah. The thing that always gets me about these comics, like... If you were a child in the 60s, like a teenager, mm-hmm. did you wear a tie everywhere? <laughs> I think by the time you hit the 60s, that was kind of out. Because Rick Jones is like the best dressed ruffian. Like, he's constantly got a tie on. Well, hats were out at this point, too, in terms of fashion, but everyone's always wearing hats. True. I guess Kirby was, was an older guy, right? So yeah, maybe he wasn't just keeping up with the times. Yeah, they're dressing like it's, you know, early 50s rather than early 60s. Yeah. Maybe Kirby didn't like the fact that JFK didn't have a nice hat. (laughs) Tyrannus isn't an interesting villain in general, but he could have been. Like all the stuff about Merlin and the black magic and how old he is. Like he could have been a really cool villain and they just didn't do anything with him. 
Yeah, and I read this issue, and I'm trying to think, now, wait, what was his plan again? Because it was just, oh yeah, get the Hulk. Make him into a slave to do some petty things around his kingdom? Yeah, it's not really clear what he wants. Other than Betty. Well, he demands that the surface surrender to him uh, when he calls General Ross, but it seems kind of pointless. He's got a nice kingdom. Why doesn't he just enjoy it? Yeah, he's got a wicked kingdom that has, like, sky underground. Mm-hmm. Giant statues of himself everywhere. Yeah. I skimmed this one on my most recent read-through. It just didn't do anything for me at all. I was going to say that the Hulk's uh, gladiator outfit, when he they make him fight the robot, looks a lot like his World War Hulk outfit. But then I guess that's just because it's a gladiator outfit. There's not a lot you can do with it. But, I mean, maybe for World War Hulk, they went back to... Uh, or Planet Hulk, I guess. Yeah, Planet Hulk, you're right. Yeah, Maybe for Planet Hulk, like that was what they used as their reference point. Because, I mean, the whole concept there basically comes out of issue three or whatever. It was a very forgettable first story. Yeah, the whole thing seems to have just been... Well, Tyrannus has Betty, so the Hulk can't do anything. And then Rick takes her back, and the Hulk does the Samson bit where he stands between two pillars, pushes them over, and that's the end of that. Yep. And then they fly off in a spaceship, and the stuff explodes behind them. Well, it doesn't explode behind them in this case, but... Do they play with this idea so the Hulk locks them in, he seals them in, and they'll never be able to reach the surface again? Like, the next time Tyrannus shows up, do they build on this? You know, I don't remember at all. I'm gonna look that up, I think. So he first shows up in Hulk number 5, and he next shows up in Tales to Astonish number 80. Let me grab a reference on that here really quick. That's three years later. He uh, Four years later, because that's 66. Yeah, you're you're right. Four years later. Yeah, I was looking at the cover dates. Um, four years later, and interestingly, he captures the Hulk. So he is very much a, a Hulk villain, I guess. Yeah, well, Tyrannus sticks to the Hulk. Oh, and then his next appearance, he's fighting the Mole Man, and he's lost the Fountain of Youth. So maybe he's interesting in that story, but who knows if we'll get to it. Uh, I read that story. And, uh, and you I, don't remember it. <laughs> and I don't think I thought he was interesting. So, <laughs> Yeah, I, the, the Submariner story in that issue of Tales to Astonish is more interesting. Well, that was one of the... Gene Colan issues. Yeah, so... Well, he was still writing by, as Adam Austin, I think? No, it actually says pencils by Spinning Gene Colan. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, but yeah, that was... Uh... let's get back on track with the next story where we get a healthy dose of 1960s racism yep also the return of the ice gun oh yeah so this is the gun that they were testing out a couple issues ago and just as we had mentioned it's complete garbage they managed to shoot the hulk out of the sky but then he basically, I don't know, he flexes or something, and it causes his temperature to rise and melt the ice. Well, for like an atomic pile, when the Hulk expends his almost limitless energy and power, his temperature rises to an unimaginable degree. Which they never talked about before, and they'll never talk about again. Well, he was radioactive in the first issue. True, but radioactive wasn't a problem back in the 60s. True, Rick Jones is standing right next to him, so... (laughs) And so what's happening in this story is it's actually a take on modern politics again, because communist China is attacking Tibet. They're attacking Lhasa. Yeah, and they're bringing quite the force. Mm -hmm. This would be about two years after there was an uprising in Lhasa that was really violently put down by the communists. That was when the Dalai Lama fled. Mm. So General Fang's bringing in a giant army to crush the Tibetans once and for all. And hearing this, Bruce Barron decides, oh yeah, I'm going to do something about it, and turns into the Hulk. And his plan seems to be pretend to be a Yeti. Which is a pretty awesome plan. Oh, we got to mention one thing before that. They fly coach. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they fly coach to China. <laughs> Until the stewardess pours hot coffee on the Hulk, and then they have to flee through the open door of the plane. The emergency door flies open. Yep. And then he... Now he's not flying, though. He's bouncing. 
Is it a worse flight when you have the Screaming Baby or when you have the Hulk? <laughs> well, the Screaming Baby can't open the emergency exit, so I'll take the Hulk. <laughs> so he makes his way to Red China. Mm-hmm. And initially the Tibetans don't appreciate the guy in purple landing in the middle of them and they start shooting. And he just goes, okay, fine then, I'll just go beat up the Chinese. Well, and it's weird. I didn't understand that those were the Tibetans. Now, one thing uh, you might notice here, uh, you can't really tell, but the Tibetans are drawn as kind of Caucasian. Yeah, very Caucasian. Well, the Chinese are very much drawn in the unfortunate pale yellow ugly faces that you saw. They're very much like the Yellow Claw, which was... Yeah. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the series. Well, very similar to, like, Dr. Droom. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the Yellow Claw was a spy series they did in the late 50s where the villain was a Fu Manchu knockoff called the Yellow Claw. That that had Jimmy Woo, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, when the Yellow Claw comes back to Marvel as a Doombot, I think. Yep. That is, like, one of my favorite comics of all time, so... But one thing they did in the Yellow Claw series is they drew the Yellow Claw in the same way with the stretched features and just very pale yellow skin, while Jimmy Woo, as the hero, was drawn much more Caucasian and colored more towards Caucasian. Yeah, it's very unfortunate. We get a dragon, or it looks like a dragon, but in Mm -hmm. fact it's just a projection. It looks like, well, I mean all of Kirby's dragons kind of look. Fin Fang Foom. Yeah, looks very much like him. The communists capture the Hulk, and that doesn't last very long because Rick Jones saves the Hulk. By connecting two wires for some reason, which is, I don't really understand. <laughs> no, it, the story is not very well told. It's got some wicked scenes, like the mm-hmm. Hulk dressing up like the abominable snowman. Or, like, and this is pretty racist, again, but when General Fang orders his hordes to attack, and it's... It's a Mongol horde. It's a Mongol horde on horses. It's like, what? But it's a cool it's a cool looking scene. Mm-hmm. Then there's paratroopers. The Hulk decides to bend all the treetops back, which is strange because there are absolutely no trees in any other scene. Yeah, and it's a, they suddenly go from icy Tibetan pass and then, well, here's some trees. Okay. Yeah, and it's grassy. It's This was a pretty forgettable issue. Yeah, the Hulk finally resolves things by grabbing General Fang and then jumping him to Taiwan. And then that's just kind of the end of it. Yeah. With, again, Caucasian Taiwanese. Yeah. Does General Fang ever come back? I don't believe so. A lot of these communist villains are one-offs. Yeah, he was a one-off. There wasn't much to bring back anyway, so he was just kind of generically evil. There's some questionable words, too, here, but... Yeah, not a great story, unfortunately. Nope. However, then we get to issue six. And we get our new regular Hulk artist for one issue. I was so disappointed when there was no issue seven. Well, he comes back as the regular Hulk artist when they revive it in Tales to Astonish. Yeah, that's true. For a little bit. He doesn't draw very much of the Hulk, but I love Ditko's Hulk. Yeah, we're talking about dandy Steve Ditko here. And there's an actual credit box this issue. There is. There was in the previous issue too, though. You're right. Before what was happening, the title pages of stories were often signed by Lee and whatever artist was doing it. Whereas this one, actual separated out credits. Yeah, and what I like is that they start crediting the inker and the letterer, right? Mm-hmm. It looks like Ditko actually inked this one himself, too. Yeah, they just say art by Ditko. And then Art Simek did all the lettering, as he did a lot of the lettering for everything. And there is some really cool lettering at the top of the first page. Oh, yeah. That actually looks like the Metal Man logo. Uh, The villain in this issue is the Metal Master. Yeah, he's not a good villain, but I don't care because uh, Betty Ross looks like Peter Parker's gal. Mm -hmm. And Rick Jones looks like Peter Parker a little bit. I just really like Ditko's art. That's Oh, yeah. His Hulk is very much in the Frankenstein mode again. Yeah, it is. But it's leaner. Yeah. Like Kirby. Although the Hulk's the Hulk is ripped. Yeah, well, that's it. Kirby was bulking the Hulk up, I found. Uh, mm-hmm. But Ditko likes to draw guys who have, like, pretty defined muscles, especially abs. 
ribs. And it's not just the Hulk. So the Hulk, when he changes back to the weakling Banner. Oh, yeah. Bruce Banner. <laughs> he, he's ripped. But it actually calls out, what happened? I'm Bruce Banner again, but stronger, more powerful. Then the Metal Master shows up. He comes from planet Astra, many galaxies away. And he was at least called out as specifically a criminal rather than just being yet another alien invader. He goes through his little backstory, talks about being called a criminal, being sentenced to exile, and deciding to use his power to just try to conquer everything. And then he roamed the galaxy to find a planet which had lots of metal so that he could rule it because of his power over metal. It seems like he melts metal without heat. Yeah, he seems to be able to just shape metal at will is his thing. Yeah, which is very convenient because he melts a bunch of people's helmets. Yeah, and the visuals on all of his tricks look fantastic. Yeah, it's really cool. The sixth page is all just him doing different things as he melts guns and helmets, melts a tank, builds a cage out of a, a missile that he melted, and then takes off flying on a piece of sheet metal he steals. You know, General Ross is a bit of a hero here. He is with the group that gets captured by the Metal Master, but he's trying to get out and alert the Missile Hunter Squadron, and, like, Ross is kind of a boss. Mm-hmm. Saves Bruce Banner's life when the Metal Master turns a missile around. Yep. And then we have some incredible panels where oh, yes. <laughs> the Hulk needs to change back, but I guess because he put his arm in front of his face, maybe? His body changed to the Hulk, but his face stayed as banners. I don't think it was specifically because he put his arms up in front of his face, because I think that was just trying to hide the transformation for one panel. Uh, in this case, in the previous transformations, they mentioned that he was getting more reluctant and that it seemed to be having weird effects on him, like turning into buff Bruce Banner instead of scrawny Bruce Banner. Mm -hmm. Obviously, he can't go out like that having Banner's face on the Hulk's body. But conveniently, he has a perfect mold of his face as a mask. <laughs> well, don't you keep masks of your face around? It's very weird. <laughs> then you get some awesome action shots from Ditko of oh, the yeah. Hulk jumping. And just like showing off his muscles. We had a little fight between the Hulk and the Metal Master. And the Metal Master's got some cool powers. Yeah, he's a little bit cooler Magneto, essentially, in terms of his powers. Mm -hmm. So the Metal Master says, hey, why don't we team up? <laughs> yeah, why not? That, that is literally what the Hulk says. Hey, why not? Then he says, nah, forget it. I don't need to team up. I'll just do it by myself. So they fight, and we have this wicked scene where the army shows up. The Hulk is downed. They go, huh? He's got some kind of mask on. Let's see what's underneath this thing. They pull it off. And his Hulk face is underneath. <laughs> yeah. That's so weird. It would have been great if Ditko had moved that panel to the next page. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was a lost opportunity. But It still looks great. It looks great. And I love that the in-panel, like, Stan must have been laughing as he wrote this one. <laughs> this is crazy. He's got the same face underneath. Better take him to HQ. It's too much for us. <laughs> that soldier scratching the back of his head i don't know <laughs> the hulk decides that rick jones betrayed him but then rick decides to do the thing that all cool teens in 1962 do and start a ham radio club and that comes up again and again yeah sorry about that one we're gonna be seeing that just two months after this issue the avengers start and that's how it gets going yep the teen brigade I think there's some real interesting kind of moralizing going on here where Rick feels like he can't contribute. He wants to he wants to have direction in his life and he wants to make a difference. Yeah, he tries to join the army. And they say, no, you're 16, you're too young. You need to stay in school. America needs trained men in every field. And then when you're old enough, you can join. And he goes to talk to his buddies and his buddies say, come on, stick to the general's advice and just, you know, stick to your education. Just like the rest of us. It's very, uh, like, PSA. Yeah, it is. It's a very odd one there. And the Teen Brigade, their ham radio club, is a similar kind of thing where it's like, oh, hey, kids reading this comic, this is a thing you could do to really make a difference. The whole world's in trouble. There's nothing a cat my age can do about it. They start bringing in some of the 60s language here, too. Sorry, Daddy-O, I ain't in a flippin' mood. Yeah, 
Well, Daddy owes more 50s, but... Okay, so they start bringing some of that hip 50s language <laughs> to their 1963 comic. Yeah. Meanwhile, the Hulk escapes. And... Right, by just eventually smashing through the wall because he's the Hulk. Yeah. And when he turns back into Bruce and Banner, he apologizes to Rick, essentially. Kind of, yeah. Well, I guess that's not really an apology, but it's it's still it's obvious that Bruce likes Rick more than the Hulk does. Yeah. Now... Bruce has a plan to stop the Metal Master, but why do they need parts from all over the country for it? Yeah, I don't know. Because they've got to get the tubes and circuits from Seattle, and Pittsburgh is sending condensators, and... I don't get... So... uh, I hate the Team Brigade. Nothing they do makes any sense. Yeah. They are very much an attempt to connect to the youth, and like all such attempts, it does not come over very well. No, and it doesn't age well. Like, I don't know, maybe if we were 60s kids, we'd be like, oh yeah, I remember doing that on my ham radio, um, ordering parts from Pittsburgh and stuff. So do you think that these kids are better or worse than the kids who help Superman defeat Lex Luthor using their TSR-80s? I didn't know that was a thing. Oh, oh boy. We're going to have to do that then when we get into the 1980s. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Uh, I would guess that they're equally bad. Actually, yeah, they probably are. I would guess that the Teen Brigade is worse because they come back. <laughs> there were two TSR-80 <laughs> comics. <laughs> oh, man. For all of the Teen Brigade stuff being stupid, the thing that's kind of cool is the Hulk builds a wicked gun. Mm-hmm. And it's just great because it's not enough that he's, like, you know, the strongest guy. He's also got to have a sweet gun. And then he goes after the Metal Master, who's going to make the gun explode. But it turns out that Bruce Banner's plan to stop the Metal Master was the same plan that Reed Richards uses to stop Magneto in the cartoon. He made the gun out of wood. Yup. Plastic and cardboard. I painted it to look like metal. Does the Metal Master come back? I believe he is another one-off. This whole series just kind of... It didn't impact the rest of the Marvel Universe other than adding the Hulk, basically. And Rick Jones. Like, it added the characters, but nothing for nothing from this felt like it stuck around. I feel like the Metal Master could have come back. I would have enjoyed seeing the Metal Master again. He was a cool villain. He at least had an interesting hook and a cool power set. Yeah, and he was doing some fun things with his power. He On uh, one page, he's flying over the Soviet Union. And he melts his way through multiple MiGs. And they're actually drawn as MiGs on that page. Yeah, he was... He was doing some cool stuff. And I like the idea of, you know, some other planet's criminal coming and taking over the Earth. uh, Trying to take over the Earth. So as the issue ends, the Hulk tries to turn back into Bruce Banner and it doesn't work. And he's, he gets really angry about this and that turns him back to Bruce Banner. Which kind of gives us our setup for the new status quo of the Hulk. But they won't actually get to use it for another 18 months because... That's the next time the Hulk has a series. So did they know that the Hulk was done? Because this last page looks like they did. That the series was over, and I mean, maybe they were going to bring him back elsewhere, but he's pretty much done. I did a little bit of poking to see if anyone has mentioned anything about that, and I haven't been able to find anything definitive, but I agree. The last page feels like they're wrapping up the loose ends for this series. Yeah. Now... At this point also, though, they had already brought the Hulk in as villains in other books, and they're starting to spin up the idea that they'll get all their heroes together and have a superhero team of their own. So the Hulk will be added to that. So the Hulk was not gone, it's just this series was over. Mm. This last page really feels like they're wrapping it all up, as, as you say, kind of in a nice, neat bow. He walks off into the sunset with Betty. The Hulk's been pardoned. Yep, the Hulk's been pardoned. Uh, Banner doesn't turn back. He destroys the machine. And he swears that he will never go through that again. Yeah. So thoughts on the series? Overall, it's pretty positive. When viewed as a whole, I think it's more than the sum of its parts. Yeah, I agree. It's got some good individual issues. Uh, The first issue is quite good. It's got some great scenes, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, It really suffers from a lack of good villains. Yeah, that is the biggest weakness here. And I think it also suffers from a certain... 
it's very scattered because they're still trying to figure out what the Hulk is. Right. With initially treating him as as extension of the monster magazines, then trying to touch on the superhero a little bit, but not really quite willing to commit to that. Well, I think they realize that it's hard to have a superhero who doesn't have intelligence, but he doesn't really work that well as like a traditional superhero. And certainly the dialogue just doesn't like it doesn't sit well at all. It doesn't land. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like if I had been reading it at the time in piecemeal, that I might have been more willing to drop this one than other than, than other Marvel comics. But in the end, I think we can see kind of why the Hulk wound up being a cornerstone of the Marvel Universe. He's not there yet, but where they left him off with his status quo, he's going to get used a lot in other books, and that's really going to solidify things. If the Hulk were to have come three years later i'm not sure we would still have the hulk right like part of it is he was here early enough that they could use him like by the time issue six comes out he's already in fantastic four number 12 right like they're already using him elsewhere so he's already kind of integrated but if this came out a couple years later and it just failed i don't know like i wonder if they would have done something different with the thing if they didn't have the hulk which brings us to our topic for next episode as we go through Fantastic Four, four through six, as well as Marvel Mystery Comics number nine. That's the first Human Torch Submariner fight from way back in 1941. Very cool. I'm looking forward to that. You're going to be in for a surprise with the ending if you haven't read it before. Uh, I haven't, so this should be good. Okay, so thanks for listening to Marvel Be My Destiny and join us next time. We can be reached at letters at marveldestiny.com, and we have a Twitter feed at marvel underscore podcast. See you next time.